welcome to What It Is Your Part Documentary, part roundtable podcast with just a sprinkling of competition. Me and my best friend Chelsea compete to be more interesting than the other and have a lot of fun at the same time. Well, that's um, pretty cute. I'm, I'm your host, Ellie Main, and joining me, just like I said, is my good friend, Chelsea Hafish. Oh, it's hello. me, Welcome Chelsea. to the podcast. Hello. Oh my God. Um, it is me, it is I, it is Chelsea. What's up, Chelsea? How was your weekend? You know. It was fun. You and I watched a very strange film together. That is not a film. I don't know what that was, but it's film-like. It's contained in a film-esque body. I explained to Connor later. I was like, look, like, I think... I think it is great when creators like push the limits and the boundaries. I was like, mm. I think I think if you are going to label something a film as opposed to like an art piece, like a digital yeah. art exhibit or, you know, um, sure. a moving painting, the, the distinction is narrative. Yes. So if you have no narrative at all, <laughs> some might argue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> okay. So this movie that we watched is called Beyond the Black Rainbow. Uh-huh. And it's by the same director as the guy who made Mandy, which is a film that does have a narrative. I mean, incredible cinematography, incredible visuals. Yeah. Sh- I mean, sure. But not, well, I not liked a, them a lot. <laughs> not a thing happened. No, not even one thing. And sometimes when something <laughs> did happen, it happened for like five minutes oh my God. at a time. It, it happened so much, it almost didn't happen. Like it just kind of blended into the rest of the movie. Yeah. Which, I mean, I will say like, it's a great device for building tension like I like when suspense films have really long takes like that they make me very on edge yes but yeah, no, I mean, this movie was oops, all vibes. <laughs> Not a single plot point. Yeah, but it was, you know, it was fine. We we simply sat in a room. I think my favorite part of watching Beyond the Black Rainbow with our group, with our like friend group, was that at the very beginning, Connor, who was the only person who had seen it before, <laughs> was like, somebody was like, hey, Connor, is this a movie we like, we could talk through, like riff through? And he goes, it's not really riffable. Uh, and then we proceeded to like riff the shit out of it for like yeah, two yeah. hours. He was like, I don't think we're entering Riff City. And we were all like, you don't know us. <laughs> and it was like, oh, we're actually absolutely in Rifttown population us. It was very fun. It was very fun. Oh my God. And then I what got to scream. What else did you get into? Oh, well, let me tell you my current <laughs> issue. Okay. <laughs> uh... <laughs> The thing I'm currently dealing with is, Ellie, I hope you know this. We're on a boil water notice here in Austin. Oh, I, I do know this. Okay, and it's not God. because of the snow. It's because of human error. Yeah, somebody just fucked up. And Which is like, like, what, did you just push the wrong lever at the water center? I like to imagine it's like a Homer Simpson scenario where like they're in front of like a big board that just has like two buttons. It's like good water, bad water. And then they just like <laughs> press the bad water button and they were like, oh no. Oh, that's so- not, uh, ah, yeah, it's been super beans. annoying. Okay, well, if that weren't enough, so we're in a boil water notice where we have to boil water before we can drink, before we can use it for cooking, for washing anything, or for like brushing our teeth. It's a big fucking pain in the ass. Made worse by the fact that my boyfriend, Connor Shea, infamous as the person who caused me to lose season two of uh-huh. what, keeps drinking water like a from the sink like a pet, like a pet that I have to like watch constantly. And then he just keeps like all day today, I've been like, 
like working, like sending my little emails, being a little drone. And he just comes into the like den where I'm working and goes, I accidentally drank another cup of water. And I'm like, how? How do you keep accidentally doing this? Like the first time he did it, I was like, okay, I think it will be okay. Like it's just a precautionary notice. Uh And I think like worst case scenario, it would like make you sick to your stomach. But like, let's just like, you know, let's keep an eye on you and make sure you don't get sick. And he's like, okay. And then like two hours later, I did it again. he's like, I drink another cup of water. And I'm like, why? You're like 31 years old. Why are you doing this? And like, it feels like, because every morning I wake up and like I go into the bathroom and Mamba follows me into the bathroom and he jumps in the sink and he screams at me. And that's our little ritual for me to give him sink water every morning. Sure. And every morning since the boil notice started, I've had to be like, Mamba, I'm so sorry. You can't have any sink water. And he gets upset, but he doesn't understand. But that's okay, because unlike Connor, he's a cat. (laughs) And yet... I can't get my help. I can't get my boyfriend to stop drinking unsafe water. (laughs) He's just like white knuckling the tap like, no, (laughs) my water. (laughs) So anyway, you know, jury's out about whether or not he's going to be traveling with me next month. Oh, my God. Or if, you know, he'll be uh, in the ground. So we'll see. (laughs) Just eating from the dumpster in Mexico City. Uh, so that's or wherever she'll be. Yeah, that's. Oh, I don't care. People can know that. Um, okay, less likely to find you there. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'll be there longer, and I'll be talking about it. Chelsea, you know what, what is the title of your topic this week? <laughs> uh, the title of my topic. The title, the title of my topic. <laughs> Yeah, you know. I'm sorry. I was just being uh, possessed by the ghost of Steve Irwin, and we all know that's what he sounds like. So, uh huh. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love tigers, but not stingrays. <laughs> so too soon. Is that the title of your topic? No. The title of my topic is the bright blue glow. The bright blue glow. Is it? Is it about no? Because this is a topic that we did before. It can't be about how people thought that the sky was water and stuff oh no but that is beautiful the bright blue glow is that about a precious gem of some kind a stone i mean you're getting closer but it's not a it's not a gem not a gem is it a stone no is it an artifact of some kind to be discovered such as in a cave (sighs) no it's about okay maybe i'm being like you know i might be being too cute by half it's about a material a material. Is it about... Gl- What's a material that's not a stone or a rock that glows? Is it about glow Wouldn't in you? the dark? <laughs> no. Stuff. And however that Stuff. works. <laughs> Is it a metal? No. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm so excited to tell you. Okay. Okay. What's the title of your topic? It is. I've been really enjoying these alt titles that we've been giving each other. So (laughs) two part title, Uh an army of ghosts or our jobs in the climate wars to come. Oh God. Okay. (laughs) Let's see. Army of ghosts. So I guess is the implication that we'll be dead <laughs> like pretty soon mm, with the no. way the climate's going? Oh, okay. No, no, no. Well, probably, but no, but, but we'll give, we'll put in a good fight first uh, in Army of the Army of Ghosts. Our climate wars to come. Mm-hmm. Will, we, will we be digital in some way? Oh, God. That sounds amazing, but not in this version of the future. Not in not my right mind. Now. 
Not right now. Uh, not in this generation of the climate wars. Well, I've always thought that my role in the climate war would be, um, you know, like like Stone Cold Killer. Well, <laughs> you. I mean, you could do that. You could do both. You'll. See, I mean, I could do both. You could do both. Why not? Why not both? Um. <laughs> Is it about how many people will be dead and how we'll have to do something about that? (laughs) Is it about an ecological way to get rid of bodies? An eco-friendly body disposal? No, no. Um, I hopefully, actually, no, I'm not bringing a bummer for a second time in a row. Oh, I am. So just, I mean, actually, I don't think mine was a bummer last time, but it's absolutely a bummer this time. Um, okay, so it's not a bummer, but it has to do with the climate wars and ghosts. Will we be ghost hunters, ghost whisperers? No, no, no. We will Girl. be in the army of ghosts. But you said we wouldn't be dead. That's right. Will we be invisible? If we're doing our jobs right. Ah, okay, well, <laughs> I I think you should start. <laughs> You think I should start? I think I started well, last time though. Did you? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Well, um, I can start. Let's talk about this bright blue glow. Let's talk about it. And let me tell you, I think you're going to find this interesting because I I believe that we have talked about something related to this once and you were like, oh my God, I was freaking out. So the, okay. bright, the bright blue glow is not a stone or a gem like you you know, were guessing. And it's not a metal, but it is a salt because- Okay. <laughs> I said it, almost, ev- I said like everything but. <laughs> yeah, you're an everything but girl. I've always said that about you. Hey. <laughs> Specifically, it's a highly radioactive uh, chloride called cesium salt or cesium-137. Thank you. Which is a nuclear material uh, that is used primarily in radiotherapy, which is like, you know, when somebody has like a tumor or something um, and they get radiation, people say like, oh, I had chemotherapy and radiation. That's radiotherapy. That's when they hit you with a big old like isotope and uh, and try to kill whatever it is that's killing you before the isotope kills you. Perfect. So what I have to present you is one of the worst nuclear disasters <gasps> in modern history. It happened in September of 1987. Chernobyl. In not, not Chernobyl. So I'm saying Chernobyl is the one that you and I have talked about that yeah. I think is way better known. This is one that I had never heard of Ooh. that is, that I swear to God, it it reads, it feels like, like when I was like researching this on Saturday, mm-hmm. I was getting chills. I was like, this reads like a fucking horror story, which it Ooh. is. It is so creepy. It is so upsetting. It yes, is, yes, yes. Like I said, it is. A, it was an INES level five, which I believe is the highest level. It's an accident with like wider consequences. It is not the highest level. It's. It is the <laughs> second highest level. But like, for example, Chernobyl was a seven. Fukushima Ooh. was a seven. Mm-hmm. Um, Three Mile Island is a five, and Guyana is a five. Okay. So it's up there with like the top boys, the, the greats, <laughs> the cool. four people total died, uh, one of which was a young child, which we're about to get into. But uh-huh. over 250 people were contaminated and an entire city or entire like village had to be completely demolished. <gasps> and the reason the reason I think this one is so fascinating is like the nuclear disasters that we think about in popular culture, like Chernobyl, they are like, you know, like a, a there's like a nuclear plant and there's a breakdown or a problem with the plant like 
something that feels, I guess, like a little bit more cinematic. This is a story of a quiet, creeping blue glow that slowly Mm. took over a village while nobody was watching. And it was 100% preventable. So, So the story starts in September of 1986, the year before. Uh, There was a small private hospital outside of Guyana, which I'm not going to say the name of in Portuguese because I don't speak Portuguese. The initials were the IGR. So this is the IGR. It's a small private hospital. And it was a place where they did the radiotherapy that we were just talking about, radiation therapy. One of the things that they used for for radiation treatment was this salt I described, cesium-137. Okay. So, you know, obviously there are a lot of like international rules about how you handle nuclear waste, such as the byproduct of cesium-137. So it was put in this big, not big, but like a, you know, like kind of a, um, would you say, like a thermos-sized metal canister. It was made of lead and steel. And the way that it worked, I'm going to try to describe this. So imagine like a lock and a key, right? Like if Uh if you put a key in a lock, you then turn the key so that the um, was it the barrels of the lock align yes. with with sort of the hole where they go into, and then that opens whatever the lock is. Correct. So similarly, this is a cylinder. Inside is the cesium, and you're supposed to turn it until the inside ring lines up with the outside ring. Only then are both holes like lined up and open, and then it creates like a one tiny like stream of light and then that is like the stream of light that they would then line up with the person that was getting the radiation treatment and otherwise you keep it turned and then the two holes don't line up and then it's safe and safely concealed inside okay cool so they'd make like a little pinhole light by twisting it around or then and then closing it up right and that will be important in a moment okay so this is uh (laughs) this is where things get fucked up igr moves to a new bigger location in 1985 Okay. They left behind basically most of the radiation unit as well as several other units, but the radiation unit specifically because there are certain international protocols in place about how you dispose of radioactive material. Right. Then a new person came and bought the building and uh, they said this wasn't their responsibility to deal with Uh. the abandoned radioactive material. Mm. Then it went to court and there became a protracted two year court case about the fate of this abandoned building. Oh, no. While it is in the middle of this sort of like bureaucratic nightmare, both sides of the court case are fighting towards the judge, but for selfish reasons, saying this needs to be solved quickly because this is an abandoned site with radioactive material, but that is also still full of like, you know, materials. And people are going to go in there and start like stealing stuff. And it's going to be bad news best. Right. So, but of course, rather than like actually come up with a solution, what they did is they each said that to the judge and then said, so that's why you should vote in my favor so we can go ahead and just be done with this and we'll take Ugh. care of it. Because they think, because if they, if the judge sided with one of them, that mean the other would have to go and do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were both like, I don't wanna. Yeah. So, great, so great, while great. they're fighting with this about who should take responsibility for this leftover cesium, this is, oh, this is also like the really shitty part. 
Yeah. The former owners, the owners of IGR, of like the original hospital, they sent letters to the National Nuclear Energy Commission trying to get them <laughs> to get involved, saying that it was super dangerous that there was this like radioactive site essentially kind of a, in this abandoned building. <laughs> yeah. The National Nuclear Energy Commission came in and said, we'll remove it. And then the court said, you can't do that. That's a building under like arbitration. Uh, and well, they got slapped with a court order preventing them from entering the, pres- the premises and getting rid of the cesium. Even though <laughs> they reached out to them yeah well so like <laughs> one of the one of the parties in the lawsuit reached out to them and said hey this oh. is a big human rights issue this Help. is like this is just sitting there so then the national nuclear energy commission said okay hey we'll go in and take care of it because we don't want that to happen and, and the, the court said, like wait a minute court said, not so fast so this I'm is to settle an argument over here so the court's solution was they hired and i believe it was paid for by the state which just goes to show you that you don't have to be in America for uh, the government to do absolutely dumb shit. Yeah. The court's decision was that there should be a guard posted 24-7 in front of this building to prevent anybody from going in and um, looting the premises until okay, the great. until the fate of the building was decided. Sure. Okay. Now, are you ready for maybe the most bonkers detail? Yes, please. This is, this is let me tell you this. This is the last detail that's going to be any fun at all. <laughs> are you okay, ready yes. for it? I'm ready for the fun detail. So, this works for a while this works for over a year they have they have a guard station the guard prevents anybody from going in there however on september 13th 1987 the guard who was supposed to be there decided to play hooky and Uh did not show up and the reason why is because he wanted to take his children to see the movie herbie goes bananas perfect the uh fourth movie about the herbie the love bug the racing uh beetle vw beetle oh yeah 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 yeah, so yeah. He's, going, he's going bananas now. Right. So, you know, like in 1977, he went to Monte Carlo, which is very funny. And then now yeah, he's yeah, going yeah. bananas. <laughs> and you don't want to miss that just because you, you have catch to catch that. Just because you have to guard a radioactive nuclear waste site. Ugh, boring. So he doesn't go. Meanwhile, there are two men, Roberto Dos Santos and Wagner Mota Perea. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have been watching and waiting for their moment to strike. Waiting for, wait, waiting for Herbie to come out. Yeah. When they see they've got that Herbie opening, they're like, let's go. This is it, boys. <laughs> they run in with a wheelbarrow and they take everything that they think they might be able to sell for scrap. This includes a canister, oh a big metal canister that they can't figure out what it was, but since it's in a hospital, it's probably pretty valuable. Yep. Pretty much oh, immediately, oh pretty much immediately after bringing this canister into their house, they both start to develop really <gasps> strange symptoms, including vomiting, diarrhea, dizziness but they don't connect this at all with with the scrap in their house so they keep working on it scary scary thing about radiation is that it's so it's completely and totally invisible completely just be like this little canister someone's thermos here why would you connect that with like "Mm, feel like i'm gonna die it's horrifying okay carry on (laughs) oh no no so so perea actually got so sick that he went to the local clinic but they told him it was food poisoning so they were like just go home and rest so he went home back to 
where the canister was. Oh, he, no. He and Dos Santos continued to try to get it open. He developed a burn on his left hand that was the exact same size and shape as that pinhole I was telling oh, you about. Yeah. He ended up having to have several of his fingers amputated. Oof. So that was about the time that he was like, I, something's going you know on. Like, I, I don't know. I'm just like not feeling great, dude. Just a couple fingers today. Dos Santos was like, don't worry, I'll keep going. He was finally able to open that aperture and get the cesium capsule out from the lead Uh, container. No. Put it back. (laughs) He developed, he eventually developed um, severe ulcerations all over his right arm and he had to have his arm amputated the following month. Oh no. So. Because it just rips, the little atoms just rip right through all your tissues. Yep. So, uh, so like I said, it was September 13th that they got the that they got the canister from the hospital. September 16th is the day that Dos Santos is able to puncture that pinhole that I described Why? with a screwdriver. No. And what he's what he describes is a deep glowing blue light coming from the tiny hole. He thinks it's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. He takes the screwdriver and scoops he's Trump out. looking into the solar eclipse. He scoops out the glowing substance. No. Puts it back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then he sells the items he like he scoops it out he literally thinks like you know that joke that we always have about like uh detectives in the 30s river where they, they see blood and they're like mm, gross anyway <laughs> yes. uh, he was similar to my hunch he saw a deep blueing gl- a deep glowing blue from inside of this canister didn't know what it was scoops some out and was like huh weird and then he sold it to the scrapyard oh balls. so so those are the first two people that are that are contaminated by this canister Okay. Now we have it at the scrapyard. The owner of the scrapyard, his name is Dever Ferreira. He uh-huh. notices the blue glow. So again, like this is so, it's so fucked and it's so horrifying, but it's like horrifyingly cinematic. Like you imagine this guy yeah. walking through his scrapyard and he notices this penetrating, like glowing blue coming out of like what looks like a metal thermos. He's like, mm-hmm. what the fuck is this? He thought it could possibly be supernatural, which I completely understand. Yeah. You have no Aliens. idea what the fuck this is. Is. You've never seen anything like it in your life. It's like this beautiful glowing substance. So what does he do? He grabs it and he takes it home. No. Over the next three days, he invited several friends and family member over to his house to view the strange glowing substance. Come and see my blue glowing thing. He was even able to, with the help of a friend, free what he called grains of the glowing material from the capsule. <laughs> and he started no. giving them out to his friends and family members. No. As gifts. Oh, little murder gifts. Uh, that same day, shockingly, his wife, Gabriella Ferreira, began to fall ill. Yeah. And then on September 25th, so now we are 12 days out from the initial sort of sourcing of this, uh, he sells it to another scrapyard. And this gets really, really sad. Oh, no. Yeah. But here's the thing. Before he sells it to the third scrapyard, like I said, he was giving out some of this stuff to friends and family. He let uh, one of the people that he gave it to was his brother, Ivo. Ivo took home a big chunk of this blue glowing dust or rice or however you want to call it. Yeah. And he spread it on his concrete floor to get a better look at it. Then he went to work, leaving his six-year-old daughter, Letty, to uh, discover it and think that it was the most beautiful thing that her little child mind had ever seen. She, they described her as being completely fascinated with it. She took the blue glow 
glowing powder and painted her body and face with it and then showed it to her mother. She also ate her snacks on the floor in the blue dust. She was just completely enamored with it. Like a child with like face paint. She painted her whole body with it. Authorities estimate that she received a total dose of six units, which is uh, which is like six times a fatal dose, even within treatment, even with treatment. So so that also, yeah, no, uh, that image of like a child like painting themselves with radioactive material. That is very cinematically horrifying. I think will haunt me like for the rest of my days. It's Um, like the scene in Chernobyl when they're on the bridge and they're all like dancing in the ash. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. So the wife that I talked about earlier, Gabriella Ferreira, she is the first to notice that, hey, everyone seems to have become really, really sick around the same time that we were all looking at that weird canister. Yeah. Uh, so she uh, she calls in and reports it. They ask, uh, authorities ask to see what the item was. Oh, so good. Then I. Luckily, she brings it in a plastic bag, which is the only reason that the entire hospital that she brought it to didn't <gasps> get contaminated. There was Whoa. a little bit, there was a little bit of like low level contamination of people who like directly handled the bag but they were all yeah. mostly good they were just treated for like low level radiation sickness uh-huh. um, it could have been much worse if she had just brought it and was like look at this stuff you guys check this uh, weird stuff out but she like again at least was smart enough to kind of have become um, uh, suspicious yeah finally it's confirmed to be radioactive material on September 29th so 16 days later after this has kind of been out and about in the village uh, yeah. because there just so happens to be a visiting medical physicist who is like just so happens hmm, to be walking through hmm, that sure sounds like radiation poisoning and he uses his own scintillation counter to confirm the presence of radioactivity uh-huh so like i said overall there were five fatalities uh Whoa. one was an employee of dever ferrea who uh who worked at the scrapyard there was the child that we described hmm. um that one was really really sad she held on for over a month and died in october oh. october 23rd of 1987 at six years old hmm. another really kind of uh terrifying or i guess just like upsetting detail yeah. of that is she was she was buried in a special fire fiberglass coffin that was lined with lead to to like allay fears that her body would become a radioactive source oh but even despite like all of these additional measures there were huge riots where thousands of people came to the cemetery and protested her funeral because they were afraid that her corpse would poison the cemetery oh they sucks (laughs) they even tried to block the roadway that the hearse would go down by building like a makeshift wall with uh stick like stones and bricks to prevent her Whoa. from being buried Oof. can you imagine that your Horrifying. child yeah no gabriella ferrea the woman who was finally the canary and said in the coal mine and said hey i think something's wrong here she also did not make it oh no yeah she uh she was bleeding out of her eyes oh. uh, and then she died the same day as her niece as letty and then oh. the last person to die was was another employee of Devere, one of the scrapyard owners. Mm. Um, and it's because he was one that was uh, spe- 
specifically specifically working with the canister trying to figure out exactly what it was. Um, strangely, uh, Dever Ferreira survived. Oh, wow. Oh, this is uh, even though he received a total dose of seven units, which like we said with um, it's a loads. Yeah. With Letty, like Letty got six units, which was way too much. But she was also a child. Dever had the highest like radiation levels of anyone detected, including the five, the four people that died. Uh, but he survived. Wow. But this is very sad. He died seven years later of alcoholic cirrhosis. He drank himself to death because of his depression. Ooh, that's not great. Yeah. yeah. So, like I said, there were another t- about 250 people who uh, all received like low level doses because they were, you know, one of the family members or friends that was gifted some of these glowing rice pellets or they yeah. worked at the hospital um, or they, you know, just came into like secondary or, or tertiary contact. Yeah. If you wanted to know about any kind of fallout from this, um, the doctors who had owned and operated IGR were eventually charged with criminal negligence for just leaving these canisters yeah. of, of cesium. Good. However, it gets very complicated and, and legally and stupid, but basically the court the court found that because the substance was acquired by a clinic and it wasn't the property of the individual owners, they therefore could not be found liable. Oof. Although they did end up in like kind of like the equivalent of like civil court they were ordered to pay a hundred thousand of the brazilian currency the brazilian real a hundred thousand real yeah because they left the building in such derelict conditions that somebody could easily go in and get radioactive and material s- yeah, steal something terrible the last thing i'll say which is very very interesting and, and something that i don't think that i've ever interacted with or or kind of seen yeah apparently so there's a there's a uh a stigma in mm. Brazil and probably in other places too where this has happened of being a survivor of uh, a radiation sickness or a radiation event. And so in 2007, they created uh, a foundation to help the Guayana survivors because they all like, I guess, similar to like the protests that happened at Letty's funeral. Everyone's all, afraid of them. People. Yeah. People think that like they might be radioactive. They're like, well, we don't, we still don't understand how this works, which right. that's a little bit true, but we do now have a because of things like Chernobyl and and how long ago those happened, we do have enough information and research now to be like, these people pose no danger. They themselves are certainly not radioactive. Right. And they can't give you cancer just by you being near them. Um, no. But people are so afraid. Like you said, it's invisible. And it's... It is. And it's just so... It's so horrible what <laughs> and happens. And it's so horrible. Yeah. That people are terrified. They don't want to be... They don't want to be around anything that's even been touched by a disaster such as this. And I think that's so sad. I think this yeah. whole story is really sad. I think, I think, <laughs> I think the fact that it all happened because of a fucking like argument over who gets to own a building and whose whose like responsibility this is. Not even yeah, who has to own it, but like who's going to clean it up? Like, come yeah. on! When there's something uh, like that inside of it, you think it was a bit more of an issue than just to be like, no, you should have, no, you should do it. Yeah, like to just put like one guard there and be like, well, hope he shows up. Like, <laughs> and, then, and then the people who are like overall in charge of this stuff being like, no worries, we'll come and do it and the judge being like now hang on a second not so we're having, fast we're having a fight over here yeah that Ugh. wouldn't be that wouldn't be within the exact letter of the law Gabriella Ferreira must have saved so many lives yep just by being the person that turned it in being like there's something funny about this thermos sir so uh so needless to say they went
went into this village and they had to completely obliterate several houses, several locations, obviously the hospital itself, uh, even though it had suffered like uh, there were it didn't have a radioactive leak. Right. Like it wasn't like right. the cancers were leaking in the hospital, but still uh, yeah. the houses, the scrap yards. Um, here's a weird thing. They went in. They found contamination on in addition to those locations, three buses, 42 wow. houses, 14 cars, five pigs and 50,000 rolls of toilet paper. And don't ask me, Whoa. I don't have more information than that. What? But maybe okay. that's just a, maybe it's because that's a thing that lots of people touch every day. I don't I'm not sure. Yeah. I get, I get, and maybe just they had like that's what they used to clean up. I don't know. That is so wild. Fifty thousand rolls of toilet paper. Yeah, maybe somebody Strange. who was a family member or, or you know, like at sort a of factory like, or something. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <gasps> and just like on an assembly line, to just touch them over and over and over again. Ah, so, so spooky. That is a movie. That's a great movie, right? Well, so it doesn't. It's not a movie yet. Tm 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 tm. <laughs> Although I think this is so funny. I don't know if we talked about this. Did Captain Planet make it to? England. Are you familiar with Captain Planet? He's our hero. He's going to take pollution down to zero. Yes, I do. I don't think it made it, but I do. I am aware of the captain of the, okay. of the planet. Yeah, Captain Planet. The planet's captain, if you will. And he is American. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Obviously. <laughs> Come on. There was an episode of Captain Planet called A Deadly Glow that was based on this incident, but they, you know, since it's for a children's show, they kind of like sanitized it. So <laughs> they, they, first of all, there was an eco villain who was responsible for the, the leak and not just a series of completely preventable tragedies right. not just the the problem of human laziness yeah exactly uh, but it was specifically cesium 137 that was mentioned in the episode and then i th- think the part that's like that i maybe have a little bit of a problem with where i'm like okay you guys uh it does feature a scene similar to what happened to letty where children are painting themselves with the blue Ooh. glowing substance oh. but unlike in reality none of those children die they're all fine later sure um yeah it's like it sure. just makes you a little bit fizzy yeah they're like oh <laughs> my tummy hurts i don't feel fine. so great sir amazing i am i will be doing points at the end sure i love how we always say that as if like it's new now it's different it's, it's different yeah it's, it's just a different era on this podcast okay we do points at the end now we're different yeah um, oh i guess i should clarify there has not been like a film made about this there was a uh uh, there was like a, um, I guess like a short film that was made that was in Portuguese from a Brazilian filmmaker in 1990 that just sort of like retold uh, more like a reenactment, I guess, than like a film is my understanding. Uh, yeah. But that came out like, you know, pretty close afterwards. It was 1990. So that'd be three years later. Oh, wow. But yeah. there's not been like a dramatic HBO retelling. Yeah. And it's, it's, <sighs> I just, ugh, I just have such a hard time with something like that that is so easily preventable oh yeah and and really Truly I, need not have happened and i mean you know maybe as a potential segue i don't i still don't know what your topic is but maybe it's a potential yeah. segue like i do think that like when we get into the climate wars like we're already there mm. like the the planet isn't dying because of eco villains like captain planet said we were gonna have to fight it is literally just like incompetence and greed yes. and like uh just <laughs> indifference yeah. um, oh absolutely it's, and it's all preventable and yet will it be prevented absolutely not so <laughs> so that's cool so that's my bummer so that's uh, happy pretty monday fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay well, uh, i look forward to your lighten. points at the end <laughs> Thank you.
Let me try and lighten the mood a little bit. Okay. So yes, this topic is called an army of ghosts slash our jobs in the climate wars because I'm so excited. These soldiers, soldiers of the past, were recruited not for their brilliance with gun and flair, <laughs> but okay. for their for their acting skills. These acting. people were selected for their creativity. They were soldiers whose most effective weapon was artistry. Hence, I think that if there is like a big climate war and there's like, you know, battalions and factions and stuff, then like this is the kind of tra- thing that I'm going to try and gravitate towards. All right. <laughs> because I wrote everybody a song. Gather around. <laughs> I mean, yeah. My other, I was also thinking about calling it like, what did the theater kids do in World War II? Uh-huh. <laughs> Basically, the army of ghosts. And before I get really stuck in, this topic was inspired, was sent to me by uh, the one and only Rebecca Luna. How are you doing, Becky Luna? Mama Luna. Thank you for sending this in. So this army, this army battalion, did not fight with bullets, but with stagecraft. <gasps> they made <sighs> inflatable life-size tanks, phony insignias, soundscapes, and fake radio transmissions to try and deceive German soldiers on the battlefield. So their job was just to be really loud and really stupid and make dumb <laughs> radio shows and try and fool people. That's not amazing. in like a secret service, like science, like like a spy kind of way, but in just the loudest, dumbest, most awesome way. So the official name of this battalion was the 23rd Headquarters Special Troops, but they became known as the Ghost Army. That was, became known as their like official title. And if you look it up, which I know that you like a visual reference, the little like patch that they would sew into their uniforms and stuff is literally a little ghost. It's great. Aww. So this this ghost army brought together like um, artists and people who are career military officers and people who are audio experts, which is why I was specifically like, Chelsea, this would be your job. Um, And it was the first mobile multimedia tactical deception unit in the US Army history. And it is only in the 90s, this was like secret top secret still under wraps until about the 90s. And I think recently, you know, the only thing that he, uh, Biden does seem to be doing, which is like celebrating war heroes and stuff. Yeah. um, He did some of that for them. (laughs) I did really love, and I mean, I'm not trying to make light of anything anybody anywhere anytime for any reason but i did love when like that like news story came up that was just like biden announced that like the military killed an isis leader and everyone's just like you can't just you can't just redo everything obama did like it's not gonna work we're still mad at you (laughs) yeah how about doing anything on on this home front so yeah remember remember the big list of things you said you can't just it's like he's like god like i just i'm not gonna be able to fix health care and i can't build back better not, that I could. Yeah, I'm not going to like cancel anybody's student loans, even though I totally could do all of those things. Oh, what should we do? Oh, well, everybody liked it when uh, Barry got Osama bin Laden. Should we Should we try yeah. to do something like that? But like, Let's try and like less get interesting? Someone. Let's yeah. just get someone. Let's just go get someone. Just go get him. Um, oh my God, I did find the ghost army patch and it's truly incredible. You didn't it's mention that the ghost has long ghost arms and is like <laughs> shooting out like little like lightning, like little red lightning rods. Yeah, it's being secret. It's being secretive. It's being so secret. Because this ghost army staged nearly two dozen missions between May 1944 and 45. And the whole purpose is just to trick the Nazi troops about where the allied forces were in Europe. And by doing 
doing this, they saved, apparently they saved thousands of lives of people. Oh, wow. Because so most other deception operations are kind of like temporary duty and they evolve as part of warfare. But this ghost army was a ground up unit designed specifically for this whole thing of deception. And it was based on a British company that had done the same thing. I think it's called Operation Bertram. Yes, the British Army's Operation <laughs> Bertram, which was in, staged in Egypt in 1942. They used camouflage and more than 2,000 dummy vehicles to convince the Germans that the British were strengthening their position in Egypt and they were going to attack from down there. And these, Very like, cool. you can look these up. These tanks are made of, like, palm fronds, like, kind of whatever they had around. They would build it into <laughs> tank-like shapes. So if you're looking through binoculars in the heat and you just see, like, a vague tank shape, that, that uh-huh. you would think that's what that is. Well, I mean, you and I know that that works because we play Sea of Thieves and that's basically the same thing. And sometimes you have to look through your little, your little, you know, scope yep, yep. and you, you're like, is that a ship or is that a rock? Well, it, let's just be safe. It's hard to, it's hard to it, tell. It's hard to say. And that's the and same. Then, and then basically they would employ people like us, <laughs> people like you and me to do, but men, obviously, well, yeah, to yeah, do yeah. Um, just false radio traffic back and forth. So I would just be like, Chelsea, Chelsea, come in. Well, we're thinking about going over the wrong side and then uh, turn them around, round the back end and then give you some coordinates. And then you're like, very good. Note it down. Lovely, lovely. And Cheerio. our idea would be that we would we would try and trick the Nazis, trick the Axis powers into believing that like the attack would take place in a, in a completely different place or or in a completely different time than it was actually supposed to do. So while there's like secret service people trying to code break in all like hush hush, there's also people just being like, well, how about Tuesday? Does Tuesday work for you? I'd love to attack on Tuesday. Oh, let's and do that. That's what we would do. They also disguised real tanks as trucks. I'm not sure why they did that, to be honest. I've been trying to find that out and I haven't found an answer. Why would they disguise stuff that they like would probably want to scare like tanks and guns and stuff as inoffensive things? Don't really understand. But <laughs> hey ho so, so this is where they got the idea from this is where Operation Bertram inspired the Ghost Army so leading the Ghost Army was this guy Colonel Harry L. Reader and he supervised 82 army officers and 1,023 recruits all of wow. these guys were secret for 40 years until the 90s among them was art students from the industrial camouflage program at the Pratt Institute in New York fashion designer <laughs> Bill Blass photographer Art Kane and painter Ellsworth Kelly these guys were all in the army of ghosts whoa those are actual famous people i've heard of those are real people those sure guys Um, so these guys and you know a thousand other strategists designed a four-part approach to bring phantom army battalions to life so the first element was this could also be a very like funny and strange comedy show yeah hey there's a war going on do your part and there's a bunch of artists like this is my part okay so the first element was the camouflage engineer battalion the guys who dealt with the inflatable vehicles and inflatable tanks they created these tanks that instead of rather than building them out of palm fronds and petrol canisters and whatever else they had around they actually designed proper inflatable tanks that could be easily lifted and moved into position by just a few people but from a distance they're (laughs) completely impossible to distinguish from the real thing because they would paint them up make them look real good Yeah. and then they had their signal company the same as Operation Bertram that concocted these fake radio traffic they were so skilled that they could mimic this Morse 
code thing called a fist, which was the sending style of operators in specific army units. They would send a telegraphic fist is like, um, it's a specific Morse code sequence that if you know what it is, like the, if you know what it is, you know, like this one guy described it saying to the trained ear, a telegraphic fist is like a fingerprint. It's like okay. hearing someone's name. And so this, these bunch of artists with their fake radio traffic would, would mimic these fists and make it sound like these uh, tanks and stuff were talking to each other in Morse code. Oh, I see. Yeah. And then this is my favorite. The third element of the ghost army was sonic deception. So audio engineers pre-recorded sounds of military training exercises and the construction of trenches and bridges and edited them into these soundscapes that they would play on massive speakers within range of German troops to make the Nazis think that entire combat units were occupied in like occupying locations ahead of them. That Holy were actually, shit. That were actually completely undefended. So the That's Germans amazing. Get, and they would be fucking loud too. So like the Germans would be would get within distance of like an entire town and just be like, oh, you can hear there's thousands of troops over there um, because they didn't have like any of the drone shit that we have now, obviously. So they're just like, don't go that way. That sounds awful. That's like, uh, uh, that's like, I believe I talked about it on the podcast, I think last year, but like mm-hmm. that um, amazing military tactician where they were outnumbered. So they sent the boats into like the water um, with attached to strings with dummies yes. in them. And then the other side shot all their arrows arrows into the dummies essentially and then they just pulled the ships back and took all their arrows yeah like, thanks so much <laughs> yeah it's amazing i it's love so shit like good. that and then our fourth layer what we would do what we're going to do in the climate wars okay the fourth layer of deception was supplied by the units combat engineer company we would don the insignias of just other random military units to confuse the germans or mislead <laughs> potential spies so we would just make cool jackets and walk around that had like completely fake or or random military like <laughs> insignia from other places. You know how I know I would be very good at this? Yes. Okay. So in elementary school, so our excited. gym teachers, <laughs> our gym teachers, I guess, got like real, ex- you know, bored, I guess, or just like overzealous. And what started out is like capture the flag. They started to make more and more and more complicated mm-hmm. to the point where like this was like capture the flag on like mega steroids where like, you know, like those awful little things that only exist in elementary schools that are like they're like a uh they're almost like a square skateboard or they're like it's like a little like plastic rectangle it's like big enough for like a child's butt and then has two handles on it and then four wheels under it and you'd have to like scoot yourself around yeah yeah Uh, i'm with you so like it'd be like capture the flag we'd be in like two teams but then like you would only be able to like get the flag back if you were on one of those little scooter things and there'd have to be like four people on base and like it basically (laughs) turned all of us into like eight-year-old like war tacticians trying yes. to figure out how to do this like we You're would go tank tactics i mean i mean kudos to them because one it gave kids like me something to do if we weren't you know say the most physical and two <laughs> and two uh you know it would take like 45 minutes for somebody to get one point and like it meant everything to us wow. but my sort of self-appointed role that i would mm-hmm. often do was absolutely like disruption and distraction and i would go try to like talk to people on the other team and I would cause like a big scene while they were trying to like scoot like over to the flag <laughs> and I would like run with them to go get the flag and then like run yep. back and get people to chase me like without realizing it I was 
just armying it up. That's a fucking awesome, dude. Yeah, as a, as a little tot. I feel like you're going to be a top recruit. Yes! I'm trying to so. kind of position myself to be in charge of this thing, so I'll put in a good word for you. Okay, I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank the you for project managing. Yes, yes, yes. And part of this obviously is going to be you and I moving to Florida and becoming mermaids, but that's a story yes. for another day. Well, what's more distracting <laughs> than that? <laughs> well, exactly. Okay, so <laughs> the Army of Ghosts, the most successful operation was called Operation Viersen, which took place from March 18th to March 24th, 1945. For that mission, the Ghost Army used 600 inflatable vehicles, fake uniform patches, still my favorite, to impersonate soldiers from other units, and recordings of pontoon and like bridge building and people being like, excuse me, can you pass me that two by four, blah, 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 like making these little plays. And the whole idea was to deceive the Germans into believing that the 30th Infantry Division and the 79th Infantry Division, whatever, that they were going to cross the Rhine River. And it totally worked. The Germans moved the bulk of their defenses and armies and all that stuff across the river from the suspected location of these two divisions, shelling an army that absolutely didn't exist. And so while they were busy chasing shadows, they were not engaging in the real allied combat divisions and the allied combat divisions could gain uh, ground, which fucking ruled. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jack Massey, or Macy, was recruited into the Ghost Army at age 18. And he said he remembered being told, we were told we were going to be using inflatable equipment to try and fool the Germans into thinking that we were real, into thinking we were a real army when we were in effect, I suppose, a rubber army. So that was another, <laughs> like internally it got known as the rubber army as well. That's um, and they, so they had this like dramatic flair, obviously. And es- essentially they would take all of this that they'd learned. They'd take their inflatable ar- uh, army, they'd take their soundscapes that they'd built, they'd take the little c- costumes, the little jackets, and they did a series essentially of traveling shows. Uh, these elaborate plays in different places designed to intimidate or confuse the Axis powers. They would be like out there doing play acting, designing these soundscapes or creating some set dressing to try and fool the Germans to, to any of their ideas that they wanted. They would be dispatched at times just to spend time in French cafes and spread gossip among the spies who might be there. Okay, yeah, I'll take that assignment. <laughs> yeah, one of, the, one of the people in the army said, yeah, we, we were told to go order some omelets and talk loose. <laughs> Can you imagine like, okay, because you're talking about like a, a TV show. Can you imagine a show where it's like, it's like five years post-war and it's like two brothers and one brother was like an infantryman who was like a D-Day and the other yeah. one was like in the ghost army. And he's just like, shut up, Ron. We didn't do the same thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. We weren't seeing the same stuff, Ron. Like, <laughs> Well, you were ordering your crepes and talking about attacking some guy on Tuesday. We were in there, man. We were really there. We were doing doing it i was the one attacking the guy and he's like yeah but on wednesday you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) this art of military deception is a very famous likely you know likely oldest war itself you've got the whole trojan horse of it all um which if you don't know how do you not know uh, please explain the trojan horse real quick this is a quick quick rundown the trojan horse uh you know the greek (laughs) army wins the trojan war by tricking the whole city of troy by accepting a gift of a giant wooden horse but ah surprise they're all inside side you know oops um oops oh yeah and then also apparently during the u.s naval institute confederate generals during the american civil war used deception to save the day when they were outnumbered and outgunned they would carve and paint their lo- paint these logs to resemble cannons and arrange them outside of all their encampments so the union spies wouldn't think that they were short on stuff which they were definitely very much short of so they just made a bunch of fake cannons so like you know Love people it. have been doing this in war forever but the ghost army was one of the first known specialized military units that was created specifically to confuse and to trick 
um, which I think is kind of cool. The Ghost Army story was a matter of military secrecy until its declassification in 1996. And now, of course, it is the subject of a documentary straightforwardly titled Ghost Army. Is it out? On which streaming service? (laughs) Let me find Ghost Army Legacy Project. Oh, it looks a little bit like... um, a pretty self-funded situation here. Tight, 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 tight. The Ghost Army Congressional Gold Medal Celebration. Oh, well, they seem to have got very excited by the uh, the the old, you know, Biden doing all of his way to go and be in war stuff. Um, if you go onto the website, Ghost Army Legacy Project, the unit, archive, multimedia, Ghost Army in color. Oh, cool! It looks like one of those things where they've taken all the old black and white footage and colorized it, <gasps> oh, which I do so love. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, those are strong. Um, And director Rick Beyer sees the antics of the unit as a sign in part of how much we still have to learn about World War II. So dads keep cramming because he says it's a great example of how many fantastic, amazing, sort of mind-bending stories we are still uncovering 70 years later coming out of World War II. So I just say that as a message to all the boomer dads out there who think the studying might be done. It never is. There's always more to look up about World War II. Dad, there's more to know. There's more. (laughs) Dad, there's more to know. (laughs) Yes. But I guess they just got some kind of like congressional medal. Yeah, President Biden signed the Ghost Army Congressional Gold Medal Act into law. So isn't that nice? That that is nice. Good for isn't that, isn't that <laughs> He nice? did it. He sure did it. All these criticisms levied against him. Look, he at least he's doing this. At least he's out here. Yeah, so that's my story about the Ghost Army or slash our future job in the climate war. In the climate war. I love that. That really okay. was the um the antidote we needed to my topic. So I appreciate you. And I think we did it in the perfect order. I'm glad that you did not go first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we've been like, hey, that's cool. Now time for some child death. <laughs> yeah. You ready to hear about kids? Uh, <laughs> woof. Uh, do you want to give me points first? Then I'll give you points. Yes. Um, well, first I've got to start with five points because I said what? Literally said it out loud. Um, so starting off with a base of five. And then I put, I added 20 points because you know I like to get my bean freaked especially by radiation shit i have such a morbid gross imagination that like i even i wasn't chernobyl wasn't enough for me i had to go up onto youtube images nope i had to go to google images and search <laughs> radiation poisoning because i had i had to see it. and it's disgusting and i wish i had kind yeah, of it's but really rough i would do it again so 20 points for being for freaking my bean which would be 25 points but then i am gonna have to take away seven points for <gasps> the child death yeah that was on me yeah um Apologize um, for that one. Inappropriate. Two points for um, Gabriella and her sacrifice. Yeah, that was so. Just to good give for it her to for putting together 20. what no one else could. Yeah, I, oh, man, everyone's just like, "Hey, nice alien thermos." I don't feel so good. <laughs> Do you think those two things could be related? Nah, nah, probably not. Anyway, let's go sell this to someone else. Brilliant, <laughs> cool. Um, all right, for you, I'm gonna give you. Oh God, I'm gonna give you ten points right off the bat just for the Ghost Army patch, which is incredibly strong yes, yes and yes. i do want immediately um mm-hmm. i will take some ghost army stolen valor on that one <laughs> uh <laughs> 
And then I'll give you an additional seven points because I think that the TV show we came up with about these brothers who yep. were in the same war but not the same war. Yeah. Very strong. TM, TM, TM. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it did feel a little like military propaganda, and I think that's what you were going for. Uh, so I do have to take off a point for that. But more importantly, yeah. I have to take off two points because Whoa. Eleanor, you gave you gave our sweet American soldiers, those boys in blue, uh, British accents when you were doing the like fake I- phone call. You were oh. like, cheerio, cheerio, let's let's pop over for some tea on Tuesday. And I was like, we would have never said that. We've never been so lame. We would never say that. We would talk about coffee. We don't do tea. Hey, the old, uh, the eagles are grabbing a coffee on Wednesday, if you know what I mean. Wow. Well, Incredible. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. Calm down. Anyway. Uh, then just like, I don't know, I'll give you 10 points because I love you. Oh, that's sweet. I know. Oh. Well, also because we haven't established what the stakes are for season three. That's so. true. We don't know. Oh, speaking of which. Yeah, what's, what's my tattoo? Well, I showed you uh, my design or a design. Yeah. But I'm kind of, I, I enjoy it. And let me explain <laughs> it to the people. Okay. I designed a tattoo that has a screaming possum and it says, talk shit, get bit. Talk shit, get bit. And you but know I love to bite. I would, I, you do like to bite. Well, yeah, she liked to pinch, but I couldn't think of anything that rhymes with pinch. Well, pinching is just biting, but with your toe. I mean, that's true. Maybe it, that's just all it needs to say is pinching is biting with your toes. Sure. I don't mind that. But it's <laughs> very good. Um, so I've got that one. But I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to design one more and then I'm going to take one that is on the Pinterest board that you showed me of all your tattoo ideas. And then I'm going to get you to choose between the three secret doors. And then that <gasps> is the answer of the tattoo that you have to get. That's exciting. I like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. That sounds good. And uh, uh, we'll, I'll drop the I'll drop my design in the in the Patreon chat. Okay, perfect. Which I mean Discord. <laughs> sure. I mean, that is what it is. They're both the same. Uh, Eleanor, where can people find you? Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Wad. Firstly, you can find me <laughs> at like, wow. Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internets are sold, unless it's TikTok and then I'm Thought Leader with two R's. <laughs> which I'm pretty proud of. And it is thought like, you know, yeah. thoughty. <laughs> Did you come up with a sign-off? I got so excited, I choked. I, I heard that. And now I'm still percolating on that little sign-off. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Last week was get hoofing. Get hoofing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I do want it to be something that feels like tangential to like hustle culture of just like, <laughs> like go ahead, whatchamacallit's like get that bread, but like something better than that. So get I'll come that up with bread. it. What about a tattoo design? It's a little baseball cap and it says start tomorrow. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll kill you. <laughs> or actually, no, I'll put it this way. I'll do it if you do it. <laughs> On that well, that's one. Not, that's, okay. That's, that's what I'm saying. A, a deal for a different life. That'd be a deal for another time. <laughs> Perfect. Or just what about a little, what about like a little kind of like cartoon sort of baseball cap and it just says start never. Start never. Yeah. I think it's very good. Very strong. Personally. Yeah. I think it's fun all right well i will say if you have time this week i don't know maybe you should go and learn something maybe and and then chelsea put it in put in your this your placeholder for this week my placeholder for this week is hey you know what if you don't it's okay <laughs> 
I'm not going to hold you to that. Things are, shit's hard. My boyfriend won't stop drinking sink water. If you don't want to learn anything. Please help me. Please help me. Help our slash relationship slash what? Help my boyfriend won't stop drinking sink water. I did it again. I did it again. Drink more sink water. So I'll give you guys an update on Connor's sink water uh, emergency next week on what? (laughs) Oh, 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 o